Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where, the, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Three things I want to draw out from this text, and I'm, I'm drawing a lot from Tim Keller on this. May he rest in peace. What a living legend and rise in glory. The first is how money exercises power over us. It's really interesting. Do you want to just go back, Ramon? In, that, um, in this passage, like you've got the concerning treasures bit, do not story, blah, blah, blah. You've got the serving two masters thing at the end there. But there's this weird bit about the eye in the middle. It's like, what the heck is going on here, Jesus? Did, did, like, I get distracted. Easily when I'm preaching, as you've noticed, did Jesus be like, oh, this thing, this thing, I've been thinking about the eye, actually, it's interesting if you're, oh, no, sorry, concerning to it. Like, no, Jesus is an absolute freak in terms of uh, his genius and, and he's the best preacher to ever walk this planet and all that. What's he saying here? And again, it's tricky for us because we're, we're using translations. But the Greek word for healthy here is a word that they would sometimes also use for the generous. And the word for unhealthy is a word that also has echoes of being stingy. And so all of a sudden, in context, that makes a whole lot more sense. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is generous, your whole body's filled with light. If your eye is stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And so what's interesting here is that Jesus is, is trying to explain to us that, um, that a love of materialism, a, an unhealthy love of money, has this peculiar effect of blinding you and distorting the way you see things, but you can't see it. You know, it was interesting, yesterday um, I was at the Scouts, um, our boy uh, is in the Scouts, and they had a garage sale, and um, they're raising funds for the Jamboree at the end of the year. So there's a big garage sale going on, and like people are lined up for the deals before the doors open, and then the doors open, it goes crazy, um, and I was standing as kind of like the big security, you know, serious-looking security tough guy next to the people who were taking the money, but also everyone would just turn up and then the ladies would just bash with them about what they thought it was worth and then they would pay that. And it was just ridiculous how they're just like, five bucks, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, man, it's a pretty good deal. And so the people turning up and it's fascinating just standing there observing people in that space of bartering about what some little teddy bears are worth. And we're not talking about you. And now, uh, most of the people that came through the garage sale weren't filthy rich. I didn't see many Lexuses out there in the, in the car park, you know. It was people that were looking for a deal. Um, and, but it was just interesting. I could just spot a mile away the people that were free. Find, like, they weren't being stupid, but they were free. They, like, they didn't have this anxiety about, like, getting the lowest price. And I saw other people seriously, like, like, anxious and trying to just get the best deal on the teddy bear. And it was just like, 
one person was like that, one person was like the other, one person was, and it was just like, whoa, this is so interesting in light of what I'm about to preach on, just observing some people were free and some people weren't. And here's the thing and that Jesus is saying here, is that when it comes to generosity, like we don't see greed in ourselves. It's one of those sins we just don't, like all you need to know is one person more greedy than you, and you're like, no, I'm like, oh, I'm not like that, Right? And it's, it's interesting, like, uh, um, we're, so, we're just so sure it's not us. It's an eye, it's an eye sin. Because um, greed hides itself. It blinds you in a way that other sins don't. I've been a pastor for 20 years. And I've had a lot of people come into my office or meet me at the cafe to share things that they've been struggling with. The greatest privilege of my life. Honestly, I live for these moments of intense vulnerability and honesty. It's unbelievable privilege. I love this job. What a privilege. As people, you know, work through issues of anger, um, lust has been a fairly common <laughs> little subject there that's ticked along, um, people struggling with forgiveness, bitterness, pride, all sorts of things. I've never, ever, ever, ever had anyone come and sit down with me and say I'm struggling with greed. Ever. And I don't know a pastor that ever has. Had someone sit down with them and say, I'm struggling with greed. Because all the other sins, it's like, you kind of notice when you're doing it. Right? If you click on that link, you've clicked on the link that you shouldn't have clicked on. And you've crossed a line. And you know it. But when it comes to greed, we can be blind. And we don't even know. And then we can make decisions out of that blindness that are crazy. I know people that have moved cities to a city they don't even like. And, you know, for money. For money. Because the pay's better. And all sorts, they have to live there. Because of money. Like, you make these decisions that are blind, you know. Don't see your children hardly ever because of money. Like it's this thing that can exercise this. So money has this power to keep you from asking the question about how you are spending your money and how you make your money. The power of greed is to not ask, not think, say it's not true of me. This is why the, the eyes can get dim and unhealthy. So we want to break that, right? We want to live with a generous eye, baby. But why does money exercise power over us? And, and verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The place that you really serve is revealed by your money. Money has this amazing way of, uh, of giving us a great identity. We can really pursue it. Who hasn't fantasized about the $23 million lotto draw last night? <laughs> the fact I know the number says me, <laughs> right? I'm like, well, this would help with the building project, Jesus, you know? Like we think about that because money has this ability to um, to give us a sense of significance. It'd be like, and again, doom scrolling on Instagram where you're just comparing your life to everyone else's best moments is going to breed a discontent in you, where you can have this treasure of I long to have a holiday like that, I long to have a car like that, or a house like that, or toys like that, or be able to go to that sort of restaurant or whatever it may be. Imagine how good it would feel if I could actually do those things. You see what I'm saying? Has this, and uh, so we can give ourselves to try and get there. And if you, you do, some of you may have got there. God bless you heaps. Um, you know, they have a sense of significance. Oh, look where I can eat. And look where I can go on holiday. 
Uh, I had, I've only had a few moments <laughs> like this in my life uh, where I'll be like, oh, this is what it feels like. Um, and, one, <laughs> and that's all because other people helped me feel it. Um, my mate back in the day, he worked for um, Hamilton Jet and he was, a tour, like, he was just travelling around the world just for his job all the time. And just again, super generous guy, it was awesome. Um, and he got so high on Koru Club that he got uh, Gold Elite where he got to give someone else, and he picked me, Koru Privileges. And I was like, unbelievable. So he gave it to me this one year before we planted here where I was travelling domestically a lot just to preach to try and get some money, which again is not the motivation for most preachers, but it was for me just then. I was like, hello, mate, can I come and preach? I told them, my mate, I need money, so can I come and preach at your place? And can you be generous with the honorarium? Awesome. And so, like, I would just go preach around the place and all my mates have got little churches, so it was okay. It wasn't amazing, but, you know, put some bread on the table. All good. While we came here to plant, we were living by faith and all the rest of it. And then I got to go on one trip that um, Glenn France, who you'll know, uh, who's on our board, he sponsored me to go to Cambodia on a short-term missions trip through the vineyard movement. And I was like, oh, Koru. Oh, Koru, baby. <laughs> Hopped into the lounge, you know. And I was like, this is the way it should be, eh? This is the way I, I, I just want it. Because it's like, some of you guys don't know this, like, free food. <laughs> and so, like, unreal. And, like, everyone acts nonchalant. Uh, you know, they're in the Koru club, having some free food, free beers, whatever. And I'm like, and I'll get there hours early. <laughs> And I'll try neck nonchalant, but I'm like, <laughs> and it got the best, the best part for me was on the way back from Cambodia, which again was a little jarring coming out of extreme poverty, but the <laughs> but on the way home in Singapore, the in New Zealand Koru guys get to use the Singapore business class lounge. That's flash a whole nother level. And I literally ran <laughs> from the plane. The, and the lady looked at me and, and it took ages to, for her to let me in because she didn't believe that I should get in there with this, you know. Uh, but eventually she huffed and puffed and let me in. And like, I had a shower. I've never had another shower like it since. It had multiple jets from different angles. Uh, and I was like, this is unbelievable. You know, this is how the other half live. And I was like, ugh, you know, for all the peasants out there and I'm in here, you know. And I was like, and this is the danger of what money can do. It, it creates a sense of entitlement where I deserve this. And here's my identity. I'm better than other people because of what money has done for me. Very, very dangerous where it just becomes the treasure of our hearts. And God wants to break us out of that. The other thing is that, and this is again, most of us probably will struggle to relate with the significance thing, but here's what we will relate with. Money has a way of getting significance for us, for many people. It's a, it's a sense of significance and safety. Because in this crazy world, there's so much we can't control, and money gives us the illusion that we have some sort of control. I can go to the doctors, I can go to the dentist, I can, well, we kind of struggle with that to be fair, but you know, all the dentists, oh, um, you know, all that sort of, all that stuff, and it's like, I, I get to, uh, I have control in an uncontrollable world. But Jesus is really clear, and we know this is true deep down. Jesus says, it cannot add a single minute to your life. God is in control of things. Uh, I heard the story once where these women were at a university, and they had a Christian professor, professor in this university who was such a brilliant Christian, he, over the semester, led them to this place, not only where they had come to faith, but they were all in, baby. And then they just began to just dream dreams about how God wanted to use them. And they got to this point where they were like, we think we're called to be missionaries. 
And so they go back to their parents who are not Christians, and the, and the parents are like, oh, no, <laughs> oh, no. And they're like, You've had this religious experience, how wonderful, but you need some security. We're not opposed to the missionary thing. You know, we can do that, but before you do that, we're just fine. First, we want you to just get the degree, and then once you've just, and then after they get a job so that you've consolidated your degree, and then once you've got your career off the ground and you've got some money behind you, then you can do, do your missionary thing. So they're, you know, feeling a bit confused about the whole thing. They go back to their professor and, and say, what do we do with that? And he replied, tell your parents this. It was bold. We are on a little ball of rock spinning through space called Earth, and someday under each one of us a trapdoor will open, and at the end of your life will be the everlasting arms of God or nothing at all, and you think a master's degree is going to give you some security? <laughs> I don't know if they said it or not, but here's the reality. Money can't stop death. It can't stop broken relationships. It can't stop your suppliers drying up and your business getting wobbly. It can't stop random health things happening. It can't change how your kids grow up in, in certain ways. And, and, and ultimately, at the end of the day, when we die, our money isn't there for us. I've been in the room, and again, one of the privileges of this job, I've been in the room with saints in their final moments. And you know who's in the room? Friends and family who love them, and the heavy, weighty presence of God who's there to welcome them into his loving arms. That's who's there. And if that person has lived well, then that, there will be a story of a legacy of blessing behind them that is celebrated at their funeral. And that's the story I want to tell of my life. Can you see how money's so deceptive? How it can so rob us of the rich life in Jesus? So how do we break the power of money in our lives? Well, here's some ways. So verse 19 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So Jesus is like, treasure the thing, so again, don't think heaven escaped when you die, which is again a terrible thing in the West we've got to constantly speak to. Heaven is near, Jesus said. He's come to bring heaven to earth. So invest your life. Your treasure should be that heavenly reality coming to earth. The things of God, the kingdom of God, that's, what, that's the things to put your treasure into. Um, but here's the way that you can tell uh, if you are free. Um, no, let's go here, actually, before we do that. Here's the reality. You can give yourself to other things. And again, this is where me talking about money over these next couple of weeks has little to do with our building and has more to do with our formation. Hope you're picking that up so far. right? I'm not here preaching building. I'm here preaching the way of Jesus. And the truth is that you can give yourself to pursuing all these other things. And they can become your precious, like Gollum. My precious. But here's the reality, and Tim Keller points this out. Every treasure but Jesus will insist you die for it. Now, it's not immediate, but it will cost you your life. That's why Jesus spoke so passionately about this. Like, it's not free to make money your treasure. It has a huge cost. It will cost you in ways that truly matter. It will form you to be a person that doesn't look like Jesus. Formation is slow, but it's very real. And nothing is more tragic than a person who's leaving, leading a greedy and stingy life. They're normally bitter. They've paid the price with their kids, with their relationships, with all sorts of ways. It's tragic. But Tim Keller points out that Jesus is the one treasure who has died to purchase you. Anything else will say, die for me. But if you make Jesus your supreme value, he's the one who's already died for you. 
You're so precious to him. And when you start to grasp that, it changes everything. You are, my pre- you are my treasure, Jesus. And I'm so precious to you. You have died for me so that I can experience the resurrection life here in the present, that my soul can flourish. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life, Jesus. Your way leads to life. Your way and his example of radical generosity, where money serves you, you don't serve money, that is the abundant and rich life, where there's spiritual wealth, relational wealth, all the treasure that really matters is found in Jesus. What your soul longs for is found in him. So here's how you can tell if you're getting free. Here's how you can tell if you're getting free. First thing is how you react to rich people. When you hang out with someone who's clearly a lot more wealthy for you, do you resent them? Do you disdain them? Do you feel superior to them as a Christian because you've got less? Do you look at their homes and judge them? That shows that money still has power over you. It shows a lack of spiritual wealth, a lack of humility. If you envy rich people, money has power over you. And our goal is that we'd be free from that. Free. God's had to work on this in my heart because I've always been on the other side of the ledger. And I could genuinely say he's slowly doing it. Free. To celebrate how God's blessed other people. Great. And just to be deeply, deeply content and satisfied with my lot. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given me. It's just free, right? That's how you can tell. Um, so a good test is, is that you can love rich people. Second thing is that you respect poor people, that you expect to learn from those who have less from you. You don't look down at your nose at them. And a lot of people can struggle with feeling superior to people, especially if you've I've worked hard. They're lazy. Well, that says money's got a hold on you. What have you again, Tim Keller, what have you worked hard with? The skills God's given you, the breath God's given you, the connections God's given you. You didn't choose the country you were born in, the parents that you had. All of these, all of it is a gift from God. And you've stewarded it. Congratulations, well done. But it's like it's all a gift. It's all grace. Amen? So how we... The third way, and Captain Obvious, is that if you're free from the control of money in your life, you just get really generous. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is generous, your whole body is full of light. If Jesus is your treasure and you trust in him, you have a generous eye. And you can give to church, to the building thing, to the poor, to your friends, to hospitality. You're always looking for ways to give. And this is where you're chasing actually after eternal life. You're not chasing after a comfortable life. Lord, I want to live for you. So everyone's asking me, oh, Harvey, I'm so inspired. How much should I give? How much should I give? Well, here's the thing. The Bible I'm tired, to be honest, of people trying to make the Bible prescriptive. The Bible's filled with principles. So let me just say this right now. 10% is not the standard. The cross of Jesus Christ is the standard. You're freed from that 10% thing in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We're in a new covenant. But there's a principle of radical generosity. So I love that Rick Warren's a reverse tithe. 90% of his income goes to, to church. And, also, it's unre- like, and the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. So there's a whole biblical concept. God wants to trust some of you. You've got the gift of making money. The question is, will you steward that for the things of the kingdom or will you have storehouses of your own and all the rest of it where most and rust destroy, blah, blah, blah. So so this is where we look at Jesus and it's like, you're free. I love that. The new covenant is just grace and freedom, baby. Uh, But the the, the principle is like just radical radical generosity, baby. Radical, baby. Radical generosity. 
radical. Like Jesus is the example. And like, oh, I'm enjoying preaching about this more than I thought I would actually. Um, uh, because it's like, I just want to rattle your cage a bit and say, Jesus wants to set you free. Like, it will feel like freedom when you get a generous eye. It'll feel good. It'll feel real good. You know, uh, Ignatius, who's this, uh, back in the day, wrote this uh, early letter about the Christians and, um, and what, the way that they lived stunned people in the early church. And he said this, you know, we as Christians, we share our table with all, but we do not share our bed with all, which is quite scandalous back in the day, and it's probably scandalous today, actually. Um, but in other words, he's saying that the pagans are promiscuous with their body, but very stingy with their money. But Christians are very stingy with their body and very promiscuous with their money. What a radical countercultural way to live. So the, as, I, as I say, the primary goal in this journey is not a building. The goal is to be more like Jesus. That's the number one thing Jesus wants for every one of us. And the overflow of becoming more like Jesus is that the King of kings and the Lord of lords will give us the tools that we need to see the kingdom of God come here in the bay on earth as it is in heaven. And a building's just a tool for the kingdom. The vision is not the building. The vision is Jesus. But there's a moment right now we believe he's calling us to step into the building thing through radical generosity from us as a humble little church. And that's, but that's, again, just a tool to form us in the way of Jesus. This is to shape us. This is an invitation to be more like Jesus. And Jesus was free, baby. He had a deep trust in his heavenly Father. And even when his Father called him to the cross, he knew that he could trust his heavenly Father. And then it says he wrestled with his Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. He comes out carrying peace. And then the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The story ends on Sunday, not on Friday with new life, with resurrected Jesus, with new life bursting into the world. And so these moments of costly obedience release God's kingdom and his life and his goodness and his healing and his hope. The kingdom always breaks in when people are prepared to sacrifice in following the way of Jesus, knowing that the story ends on Sunday, not on Friday. And so listen to these words of Jesus at the end of that passage. It's not on the screen. I'm just, I want to read it out to you. But just imagine Jesus saying to this to you, looking you in the eye. There'll be a little twinkle in his eye. I can promise you as he says this. Listen to this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Twinkle, twinkle. Or what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying about all this money stuff, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Look at the flowers of the field, how they grow. They don't even labor or spin it, and yet Solomon in all his splendor was not as beautiful as these flowers. How is it that God can clothe the grass of the field which is here tomorrow and not there tomorrow? Will he not clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry about what we'll eat or what we'll drink or what we'll wear. For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Twinkle, twinkle, twinkle. Twinkle in his eye. And why is he he's saying that? as the freest man that's ever walked this earth, completely free and trusting his heavenly Father. So here's the nitty-gritty. If there is like, if, as I'm preaching, 
there's something in you stirring, but, but you're beginning to see that your eyes have been a bit dim, I would love you to get free. And the Bible's like real clear. It's like the only way to get free is to start being generous. In the same way, the Bible says in Colossians 3, like if you're proud, and we live in this really proud, self-sufficient world, right? The Bible says clothe yourself with humility. Like you've got to start doing some humble things, which is why we do altar calls quite often. Eat the humble pie, everyone's favourite pie, you know? Uh, and so to break the power that money has, the grip that it's grabbed of your heart, you've got to give something. But here's the thing, you've just got to give something. So you just give what you have faith for, and here's what's interesting. So often, we, I think we've got to just chill out around like, literally there are people, okay, there are people in our church right now that are, that are talking about selling property to help us get into the building. Stop thinking about those guys if you struggle with money. What can you give to break the power that money's got on you to start, get, just give some stuff away? Literally, is it 10 cents? we like, I'm going to give this 10 cents in obedience to God. It'll break something in you when you start giving it away. Maybe it's $100, maybe it's $100,000. I don't know. But just give something to break the power that money has on your life. And now listen to me. If you struggle with pastors talking about this, but you know it's true, give to another church. Genuinely. I genuinely say that. <laughs> like, just don't, like, if you're like, oh, Harvey, building all these little you know, money now, please just give it to another church. Like as an act of worship to God. You know, in the Old Testament, the offering was burnt. <laughs> Have you stopped and thought about that? That was their precious little lamb that they raised and was the nicest one they've got. And that was the one that they were required to give as a, as a, as a frequent sacrifice. You know, and it's like, sorry, it's, no, sorry this is getting really traumatic and triggering. This is terrible. It was burnt before the Lord as an offering. Now, we steward it and we want to use it for the kingdom and all the rest of it, but giving to another church is a way of just saying, I'm just giving it away. With no, There's no benefit. I genuinely mean it. I genuinely mean it. Like, give something away to somebody, ideally to a church, as a sign of giving it as worship to God. Just give it away because it's about your formation. It's about become, breaking something. But if you don't struggle with this pastor's motivation, <laughs> then let's take, and trust me, I'm not getting a kickback. It's not I get 10% of whatever gets given next Friday, you know. It's not like Harvey turns up in a new Harley on next Sunday, Sunday week or whatever, like, hey, thanks, church, for giving. There's nothing in it for me apart from me and Jen having some conversations about our costly offering to this thing because our vision's the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And like, what a, like, this, is, this used to be a tricky conversation, mainly on my end, not Jen's end, because her parents are incredibly generous. My parents have been incredibly generous as well, but oh, whatever. That's on me, not on my parents. Jen's been good for me, as have Nan and Phil, and I am loving the conversation. This is the most I've loved it, I think. Oh, Jen, I wonder what we should give. Oh, you know, and we're like going back and forth around what that is. And I'm like, I just feel so free. I just love it. And I'm like, oh, this is what it's meant to feel like. It's just a deep trust in God. We've seen his provision time and time again. And I just trust him that he's going to provide. He's provided for us. But then I'm like, I want to be on my deathbed with my children and my grandchildren, my friends, the presence of God, and people saying stories. We're probably going to die holding hands together, Jen, so it's going to be this really awesome moment, just like the movies. <laughs> and they'll be like, Sam and Jen. Uh, I love you. Uh. And, Sam, and they'll be like, Sam and Jen, 
that they gave money in Wellington, they gave money in Christchurch, they left a legacy of blessing their whole life, their buildings in Wellington and Christchurch and in the Bay and wherever else the Lord wants to use us, and they, they just live their life as a blessing. Like, yeah, we did, baby, I'm so glad we did, you know. That's, so here's the dream. <laughs> We're going to come into land because it's getting wobbly. <laughs> you know, I love it. God, God, laughing's probably the healthiest thing we can do when it breaks the stronghold of money. God, we do, that's why we make weird noises every time we take up the offering. God loves a cheerful giver. There's something about living hilariously for him that I think is all, I'm all over. But here's the dream. Here's the dream, friends. Not only do we have that moment down the track, but in two weeks' time, here's the dream. Here's my dream, that every single person in our church, from the kids to the oldest person here, has contributed something to that offering. It could be 10 cents, it could be 10 bucks, it could be some crazy amount. But every one of us has given something. Here's the dream. That everyone's taken a little step of obedience, seen it as part of their formation journey, has a vision of things eternal, things of the kingdom, and has given joyfully something. Genuinely something. Oh, Lord, let it be. Something. Lord, let it be. Just that you'll something. 10 bucks. You're in. You're in. Ten bucks, you're in. You're part of the story. And here's, what, here's the dream. In, in two weeks' time, we're going to have a celebration service. We're not going to call it that. I don't know what we're going to call it. But we're going to have fun. We're going to, Jen's going to teach us all a little dance. Some of you guys, I'm not coming. Whatever. We're going to, <laughs> Jen's going to teach us a little dance. The Bay Kids are going to lead us in worship for the first two songs. And, and we're going to announce what people have pledged to give over the next year for this building. And I can't wait to be like, you're not going to believe it, church. You're not going to believe it. But this is what we've got. Amazing. Isn't God good? <laughs> Bang, party popper. Celebrate times. Come on. You're part of the story of what God's doing. Isn't this amazing? And then we keep growing in generosity as a community. And then we want to plant another church. And we say, church, we need to give because we want to plant a church. And then we take a journey of generosity. And then I say, church, you're not going to believe this. But everyone's giving so generously, we can plant the church, yeah. And then it's like, oh, you know, a year later, there's this mission to the, a broken part of, of our community. And we just feel like we're called to, to do something. So we're gonna, we, we need $50,000 to do this. All right, church, what do you do? You're not going to believe this, church. Not only have we got 50, we've got 70 now. It's amazing. You know, our heart from Marae Nui hasn't changed. If we wind up in Tamatea, we need an outpost in Marae Nui. Hundi. And so it's like, all right, church, we, we, we need a lease, a shop front in Marae Nui. We're going to need X amount of year to do that. We need some people to, church, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to. That's the, that's the dream. It's the dream is that ordinary people who never have enough money, I know what that feels like, but somehow take a step of faith and obedience to God, get a generous eye, and just say, like, yes, Lord, count me in. I'm going to play my part. Here's the reality. God is writing a beautiful story in this church, and he's writing a beautiful story in your lives if you're willing to trust him, to follow him. And so I am standing before you this morning, saying this is a discipleship conversation before it's a building conversation. And so God wants to use us as a catalyst to shape something in us so that we become more like him. And honestly, the richest way that we can live is that when we become more like him, he's the way, he's the truth, he's where the life is found. Amen? So we're going to take communion this morning to finish because um, this is the best way that we can wrestle with the concept of generosity 
is to remember what God has done for us. You cannot outgive God. As we say in our liturgy every week, you just steward what you've got. That's it. Let's steward it well. But it's all his. And so John 3.16 says this, and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave what was most precious to him. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal heavenly life. For God did not send his son into the world, listen, to condemn the world, be freed from all of that, but to save the world through him. Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Live like a dead person. It's all yours. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's stand together.